0: This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 202, recording on Thursday, March 23rd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. Uh, it's episode 202. Can I tell you a, a, a not really funny college story about the number 202? Sure. So... Um, my roommates and I, in our sophomore year of college, we, we were in a scholarship hall at uni- the, the great University of Kansas. Go Jayhawks. Rock um, uh And our first year, we lived in room 202. And then our second year, we, we moved upstairs, and the freshmen moved in below us. So every day, twice a day, at 2.02 p.m. and 2.02 a.m., we would jump up and down and scream, 2.02. 2.02. Until one day, a bleary-eyed freshman came up at, you know, on a Tuesday night at 2 o'clock in the morning and, and asked us, please, not to do that. And I've never laughed so hard in someone's face <laughs> before because I was like, you realize what you just did, kid? You ensured that every day from <laughs> here on out, we're going, to, uh, we're going to yell even louder at 2.02 in the
1: morning. Did you set an alarm or were you like up until 2.02 every we night? We were up.
0: We were up. We were up. It's call it was college, man. Sophomore year of college, you're up you're up till crazy <laughs> hours. Oh, Jeff, mm. this
1: is like a this is kind of a mean story. Like it's funny, but it doesn't quite fit into my Jeff gestalt. No,
0: no, it's not a mean. It's not an. It's a night and it's not a nice story. I'm not not a, not a nice story. So it's all right, uh, I mean Mike I Turley. Mike Turley, though. I'm so sorry. In hindsight, I'm sorry to to have done I... that to
1: you. Oh, you remember his name, though. I do. That's nice.
0: I do remember his name. I
1: don't have a uh, a jumping up and down, torturing the people Did you live in me. dorms? Story. Did you live in a yeah. dorm all four years? I lived in a dorm the first year, and then the second year I had an on-campus apartment, and uh. then after that I had an apartment just off campus. Were um, freshmen
0: required to live on dorms freshman year?
1: Yes. You were required to live on campus... Um, it, unless you were a commuter student, Loyola has a lot of commuter students, mm-hmm. um, or did when I was there many years ago. Because Chicago was um, big. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but if you were going to be, if you were not commuting, you were required to live on campus the first two years. And mm. so they had lots of sort of apartment-y style things for sophomores, but freshmen were all in dorms. So my dorm was a 19-story square um right on Lake Michigan. And we mm. were lucky to be on the east facing side. So I got I had a beautiful view. Ooh. Um but the Uh, ventilation system was not great and the people below us, someone on the 12th floor uh, was playing, this was the year that Bleed American came out and they were playing track 5 from Bleed American over and over and over and over and I was like deep into a Jimmy Eat World phase so I recognized the song but we were like, my roommate and I were like, what is going on? And so we went down to the 12th floor it alternated like one floor was boys, one floor was girls. So we went down to the 12th floor and we left a note on their door like on the floor's door of like someone on here someone on 12. is playing Jimmy Eat World track five over and over. And we need to know why, what's going on. Please call
0: us. That is too funny.
1: And they did. And it was a really sad story. So then I felt like a jerk for being mm. like, stop having your moment. <laughs> but it was like 24 hours of that song. It's been 15 years. And when I drive around in the spring, like <laughs> you do you do your spring day thing where you put all the windows down and you yep. listen to 311. Mm-hmm. Um, I do Bleed American and track five still. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, the kid's name was Jacob. I can't remember his last name. But like poor Jacob was (laughs) mourning a friend. And I was like, why can't you turn your music off? I know. Boy, we were both terrible
0: as undergraduates. We're were. the worst. I
1: mean, not much has changed. Not
0: much has changed. Uh, Let's do a sponsor and get into the week's news. Let's, Let's do this thing.
1: Yeah, let's usually do this show we yeah. do. Um, our first sponsor this week is Third Love. They are back going into spring and summer. You want to be thinking about uh, wearing a bra that is comfortable, that looks great under all of your clothing. We're talking about, you know, tank tops and t-shirts and sundresses and all that fun business. Um, on average, women change bra sizes six times in our lives. So finding the perfect fitting bra and making sure that you're wearing the right size can make all the difference. Third Love's bras were developed using thousands of real women measurements and they range in size from double a to g cups including signature half cup sizes Mm. in between some of those steps so if you've had trouble in the past getting the fit right this is an opportunity to you know not have to shove your body into a bra that isn't designed to fit it you can try something else no matter your body shape third level will find something that's right for you And with 3rd Love's Fit Finder, it only takes 30 seconds to determine the best size and style for your body. I've said it on shows before. I have used this Fit Finder. It's a cool little app thing where you put in your measurements and you tell them some things about the shape of your body. And it spits out recommendations for uh, what your bra size is and which of their styles will be best. So don't wait any longer. Hmm. Say goodbye to slipping straps, side overflow, all the rest, ladies, You wear a bra, you know what the problems are. Try Third Love today. They stand behind their products so much that they're willing to let our listeners try a bra from the 24-7 collection for free. You just pay $2.99 for shipping. You can take the tags off, wear it, wash it, really live in it for 30 days. Make sure it's your new favorite. If you love it, you keep it. They'll charge your card. Easy peasy. If you don't love it, you can send it back for free and your card will not be charged. So go to thirdlove.com slash bookriot to get started. That's thirdlove.com slash bookriot.
0: Cool. Um, no big stories this week uh, in in the world of books and reading, um, but there are cool things worth talking about. Yeah, a bunch and,
1: of little interesting things. And I
0: guess uh, bullet point A is that um, there's a new book coming out, um, written a children's book written by Chelsea Clinton, illustrated by Alexander Boyger, I'm guessing, B-O-I-G-E-R, mm-hmm. called She Persisted, which inspired by um, basically Elizabeth Warren – being chastised uh, on the Senate floor um, by by Mitch McConnell. And I, I'm not sure I've seen uh, a rallying cry spread as quickly as, she was warned, she was given an explanation, nevertheless, she persisted. And so the book is going to be called She Persisted, in, uh, inspired by that. Um, 13 American Women Who Changed the World coming out May 30th. So it just goes to show you that uh, publishing can get on its horse if it needs to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a great idea for a book. Um, but the, the other, my, un, it's not really ungenerous, but my eyebrow was, oh, I see you can turn a book around in two months if, you, if it's, uh, if it's uh, expedient to yeah. do so.
1: It's interesting. She persisted, or the nevertheless she persisted caught on, I think, uh, with the same passion that Nasty Woman caught on yeah. uh, during the election. But Nasty Woman is a little harder to market to – well, it's difficult to market it to anyone who's not mm-hmm. an adult. Um. So Nevertheless, She Persisted has this nice sort of ageless message, um, and I think it's really smart to pull this together as a children's book. Um, the meme has become very interesting online with features of all kinds of women mm-hmm. who overcame challenges and obstacles. Um, I would I would bet really good money that there's a Nasty Women essay collection in the works.
0: Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that makes sense. Somebody.
1: Uh, but this, I think, is really smart. I appreciate the side eye of it coming from Chelsea Clinton as mm-hmm. well.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Also very good. Also, the, the Nevertheless comma She Persists has a very, it's sort of almost like a Victorian... Air to it, you know, like it's kind of understated and backhanded, and McConnell meant it as, you know, I guess not it, really an insult, but an explanation of why. Yeah,
1: he, he's like appalled that she didn't stop talking,
0: and I guess that's what makes it such a perfect kind of like nasty woman too. Is that if you just use the same phrase from the other side, it also works. It actually works better. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, she persisted. Like he meant that as some sort of chastisement, but really, um. It's a badge of honor to say she persisted, and that that persistedness is is telling in this particular situation. So yeah, I mean it's it should be it's going it to be an interesting book, I'm sure. But uh, I don't know. I mean, we I talked to um, with um, uh, Min and Rita on a, one of the special position shows about a children's book getting put together. And it takes a lot. I mean, I'm sure Alexandra Boyger is has drawn her 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 fanny off right now because mm-hmm. to get this out by May 30th. Um, now maybe it's a little bit easier because there's not full stories. Or, I mean, may, I'm guessing each one of them is a little tableau or something. So maybe it's you can kind of cut a few corners. I don't really know, but for whatever reason, it's getting rushed to market, and, and it makes sense. It makes sense to yeah. get this while people are still. Talking about it, it's coming a and little bit. And then another, like
1: three months, there will be another catchphrase. We can yeah, make books I mean, with.
0: if anything, we've gotten is a, um, a cavalcade of usable resistance memes um, to 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 wield as as we can. So that's coming out May thirtieth. Um, it doesn't say it's a children's picture book, but it doesn't have you know. Sometimes there's a sub age range, um, but it's not a board book, I should say. So you know, probably. K through K through two, you know, pre K through two, second grade is what I'm guessing. Yeah, with, with a reader of that age, I'm now finally I'm finally tuned to like those um, subtle shades of reading level uh, of different of kids that are beginning to know how to read, and it really makes a difference if it's in a kid's reading level uh, how interested or what you need to do with them or not. So you can look for that. Check it out. Does it say who? It, I'm, you know what? I didn't see what the imprint is.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't say. This, this is a story she's... in
0: the New York Times.
1: Let us let me go to the Google machine.
0: Oh, I got it. I've got it here. Okay. Uh, I found it on Amazon Philomel Books, which I think is a HarperCollins kids imprint. I'm not sure. Philomel Books. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see. While we're talking about the New York Times, real quick, um, we did talk uh, last week or the week before about Pamela Paul. Explaining, she's the, the um, editor of the New York Times Book Review and talking about the New York Times efforts to change up their book coverage. Um, you know, both how they redo some of their bestseller lists, what they are going to cover, what they're not going to cover, deprecating the standard bearer of the 1,200 word review, book review. As the sort of unit of measure of the book mm-hmm. review, um, no, it will still be there. They'll still have those, and may even be the flagship product. I don't know. Will they still lead? I mean, right now they lead with kind of the book of the moment getting reviewed. So, well, the last week I just saw there was a long, It was a Margaret. It was a Margaret Atwood essay about The Handmaid's Tale now, which was a really nice piece. So that's even mm. a little bit different right away, where it's not a book review. But anyway, the, one of the things they're trying is it's called Matchbook. And it's a literary advice column, but not really. Um, it's more a personal <laughs> recommendation column. You know, you write it's, in uh, and you tell them stuff. It's it's selling Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not unlike it's not Get Booked, or one of the other shows mm-hmm. um, that our colleagues and friends, uh, Jen and Amanda, do. Um, you know, tell us about your reading habits, old favorites, new books that exceeded your expectations, and those that fell short. The weekly column will connect readers with book suggestions based on their questions, their tastes, their literary needs and desires. Each column will offer uh, offer personalized suggestions, to one reader, I guess I I, I I can I be uncharitable for ninety. Well, I'm, I'm not going to ask permission. <laughs> please, not,
1: please. Um, it's, I'm so happy when you're uncharitable. Well, first. I mean, I,
0: I just like when the New York Times is like, yeah, we're going to revamp our literary cover to things people have been doing for several years now. You know, like I don't know. There's maybe <laughs> I was like, just maybe they should think about doing some lists of books. You know, maybe um. <sighs> Maybe uh, you know, I don't know something like you that. You know what?
1: You know what people really like? They like roundups of coffee mugs with bookish puns yeah. on them. Maybe the New York Times should do that too. You know
0: what? I will be vindicated. We shall be vindicated <laughs> if we do see a feature in the New York Times book review. It's like bookish <laughs> coffee mugs, and there's like fifteen of them. <laughs> I'm gonna like buy one and put it up and be like, "All right, I see you, New York Times. I see what you're doing."
1: Yeah, I was just looking at the calendar this morning thinking about how we need to get ready for the moms, dads, and grads yes. write-in recommendation show. Uh, so by the way, oh, if yeah. you are going to be buying books for Mother's Day, Father's Day, a graduate uh, this summer, or you just want some recommendations for yourself, that show usually comes out in May, but it's not too soon to send us no, your
0: questions. not too soon. Podcast um, at com
1: go ahead and do that. But yeah, I was thinking, man, I wonder if the New York Times has just been listening to some of those. Like, not like we invented custom book no, recommendations. No, 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 no. Either, but it's just it continues the drumbeat of like just doing things five years too late.
0: Yeah. It, it, all letters from all stripes of passionate readers are welcome. It's going to be written by someone, a uh, name I don't know. Her name is Nicole Lamy, um, who's I guess, written about books before. She served as
1: the book editor of the Boston Globe and previously an editor of the Harvard Review.
0: Transition magazines and the Boston Mm -hmm. Book Review. Um, Interesting. uh, Go ahead. Any thoughts from you?
1: It's a big task for one person. Um, Jen and Amanda are both very eclectic and widely read readers, and they do a ton of research for Get Booked, but even... Then they sometimes, you know, find themselves outside their depth to answer some of the questions that they are sent and have to either like bring in, uh, guests with specialty knowledge or do some mm-hmm. added research. And so I'm, I kind of feel a little bit for uh, Nicole Lammy of what you're taking on here, unless the questions that she, unless she's going to just choose to answer questions pick, that yeah. she can answer, um, which is a different, I think that creates a different kind of, in this case, column. It would be a different kind of show. Uh, like if Get Booked were only really about the books that Jen and Amanda had already read and knew about. Um, so it'll be interesting to see really uh, how they live into the uh, suggestions for all kinds of readers.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing too um, about Get Booked, versus just in terms of format and reach, I mean, for one thing, the New York Times has a much larger audience than we do. Um, might not always be the case, I hope. but um, So the chances of you actually getting your recommendation requests answered by the New York Times is pretty small, especially since she's going to be doing one per week. So mm-hmm. even say saying that she does 50 a year, you know, takes off for Christmas or Thanksgiving or what have you, that's fifty people getting there. So really, the really the idea is that other people that are not that person will be interested in the recommendations, which might be the case. But it's <clears throat> I don't know as a written in written form. I the thing I like better about a podcast about this is you get to hear the discussion. And then I, I just wonder about the idea of if it's about you know so, if it's um, uh, Shonda from Albuquerque. Uh, and am I going to read that? I don't know. Like that's you mm. need it to be that way um, for people the, to do that. So that, I'm curious about that particular. And idea.
1: I'll be interested to see. Like first off, I really feel sorry for what Nicole's inbox is going to look like when authors and publicists yes. decide that they need to get her to recommend <laughs> their books. <laughs> I do not envy what that. Moment will be like, uh, or probably already is like, uh, now that this is getting publicized. But it's interesting to think about how big, as you were saying, like how yeah. big the New York Times readership is. What potential effect this column might have on a book's sales? Like, if it goes well and people do really care about yes. reading these recommendations, there could be you know the equivalent of like a, a you know a Colbert or an Oprah bounce mm-hmm. um, from having gotten in there. So I hope that they're going to pay attention to those things. Like if I were running this, I'd be like, okay, here's the book she's recommending tomorrow. Let's look at its Amazon rank now. And then let's mm. look at its Amazon rank 24 hours later. Yeah, really
0: interesting. I mean, the advantage, and I do also think it's kind of a disadvantage that New York Times book review have a disadvantage, but it's a, it's one of those things where success hides problems because the book review that appears in the Sunday New York Times appears in the Sunday New York Times every week, and they have certain number of pages. Some, they 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 can put things in there without them really needing to perform, if that makes sense. Not that performance mm-hmm. is necessarily the end all be all, as we know. Sometimes you want things that um, that aren't necessarily widely read because they're interesting to a subgroup, or you know, some people will discover them on their own. But like if this is say the back page feature of the New York Times book review it will automatically get a certain amount of readership, even if it hasn't itself earned it. Does that make sense? Like, it's kind of a weird problem.
1: Well, it does. And also, I think just thinking about how a piece performs or not is something that's relatively new for a... For a legacy publication like the New York Times, up until the internet was really a thriving thing, they made their content, they sent newspapers out, they kind of had no idea Mm -hmm. which sections people were reading and liking and which ones they were throwing away without looking at. And now that there are are online stats and so much news consumption happens that way, they have to look at what people – do care about and what they appear to not care about by mm-hmm. virtue of not giving their clicks to it. So it I think you know sort of behind the curve in that way as well but it's interesting to think about like you know just sort of the baseline knock-on effect mm-hmm. of you get x number of readers on this just because it's the New York right. Times. Right yeah exactly.
0: Um, and you can write that for a long time and they have yeah. written it for a long time and to be perfectly frank, that they did write it for a long time allowed people like us to to spring up, right? Because, you know, they had, a monopoly is the wrong word, but they had the catbird seat when it came to book coverage. And as the incumbent leader and champion, they had very little, it's classic sort of innovator's dilemma situation, where you have this big platform, and so you're not incentivized to change or innovate because the platform is so big and, um, has so much ballast and so much inertia, both good and for ill. Inertial going forward, but also inertia is very difficult to change. That, you know, one thing that we said is like, you know, is there's there are other ways to talk about... And, and we didn't do this. Like, book bloggers did this first, and you and I were right. book bloggers. And we sort of said, hey, what if we did, you know, sort of a a publication that was more like what book bloggers are doing? Because I think book blogging itself rose up in response to the uniformity and hegemony and sort of... Homogeny, uh, you know, homogeny in, in uniformity kind of mean the same thing, but homogeny has sort of a boring quality to it. Like, it was all the same. Like, whether you read the Washington Post book world or the Dallas Morning News or what, the Boston book review that Nicole Lamy wrote for, it was all book reviews. Maybe you'd get an, an essay every now and again or maybe a longer profile. But the the, ba- the boundaries of what a book re- book coverage looked like were, were very narrow. Um, and it was narrow because they were basically hitching their ride to the big ship of the New York Times. And so they could just sort of keep things a, as is. And it's interesting to see the New York Times respond to that. I wonder what the motivate. Are they seeing differences in their numbers? Are they seeing differences in advertising? Like, why are they now motivated? What, what has changed? Um over there in, in Pamela or, Paul's mind or the editorial or what's different now than it was one, two, four, five years ago. It's interesting. Yeah. And I've wondered sort
1: of when did they first realize that something has changed and how long did it take to decide on what the new shape was going mm-hmm. to be? Like, I imagine that you don't change editorial tax at a place like the New York Times very quickly. It's not the most oh. agile environment, I would guess. Um, and it is, you're absolutely right that the fact that, the New York Times was doing what it was doing when the blogging and the internet emerged did give us space to do mm. what we have done. Because prior to that, they only had to cater the book review to the kind of reader that the New York Times already had. And they had made some pretty good guesses and I'm sure had pretty decent intel about the demographics and the interests of the average you know, person who subscribes to the New York Times in print and reads it every day. And they could cater the book review to those people. But with the mm-hmm. emergence of Online, if they wanted new readers, um, they had to go make book content that would attract people that weren't already caring about Mm -hmm. the New York Times. And they were slow to do that. You know, there wasn't like romance coverage or mystery thriller coverage or a real place. Mm -hmm. Um, And book blogging did step in to step in to fill that gap in a lot of ways. Um, And now there's, I would just, I would love to know if this is a keeping up with trends, if it's a making up for stats, if if it's a little bit of both, if there's just been a shift in my, I guess what I really hope is that there's been a shift in mindset that the sort of white tower, white ivory tower, ivory tower. Words are just hard sometimes. What are (laughs) words?
0: What are words? (laughs)
1: It's a sound that conveys meaning, Jeff.
0: Mm, okay, good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but I would hope that this grows out of a recognition that there are many other kinds of books that are worthy of attention mm-hmm. and discussion, and readers that deserve uh, a place to to go for that kind of discussion. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's there's true a lot of things not. I, I like to know the about.
0: There's a lot of things I like to know about the New York Times Book Review. I mean, one we know that if um, well, I've heard anecdotally. I, I say I can't say that I know, but I've heard that if you get one of the big reviews in the New York Times book review, you do get a sales bump. Um, if you buy a huge ad in the New York Times book review, you did get a sales bump. Now, is that commensurate with the spend? I don't know. Um, but. What I don't, I've often wondered about this, because you know, Michelle and I now get the print, the weekend print in New York Times, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which I really enjoy doing. I never make it through to all of it, but I, I like to look through it. I do look at the book review every weekend. Um, I like to see what ads are there, frankly, um, selfishly, strategically. Um, but also, I w- I'm looking at the coverage, and I, it, it just makes me wonder, because we do have a lot of metrics online, and we can argue a lot about what metrics are good and what they mean and stats and whatever. But like what percentage of the people that get the print New York Times on the weekend, that co- whichever one comes with the New York Times book review, I know there are several different packages. How many people open the New York Times book review? Do you have, I mean, mm. like I-, I looked at the, circul- the print circulation statistics recently and I, I cannot remember what the, what the print subscription is. But let's say it's 2 million people in the U.S. get the New York Times book review. I think that's high, but I'm not sure. Do 10% open it?
1: Oh, I have no idea.
0: I would think no, right? I mean, ten, and and of those who open it, how many read any or all of it? I'm just not sure. I I just don't know. Like that's something I'd love to know because we know really good stats about our own Mm -hmm. content, right? Almost. It can be obsessive worthy, where it's like, you know, this and this and this, you know, can kind of get caught up in it. But it does tell us relative interest in that thing. And we can tell our advertisers, X number of people saw your ad, X number of people clicked your ad. And X, you know, if there's a new in this show, X many you downloaded after six weeks, things like that. But when you're buying a print ad in the New York Times, you're basically saying, OK, this many people get it. And I guess that's it. I mean, maybe they do some surveys or something after the fact about did you read it? I don't know, but like, yeah, it just strikes know. me how blind we just because it gets put in there right. doesn't mean anyone's it doesn't mean reading it. Does it.
1: Anything. Yeah, and well, and we we know countless because we've heard countless stories about. Uh, ads being placed in publications like the New York Times, not because of any detectable return on investment, Mm -hmm. but because like the author really wanted it or the agent really wanted it. And so the agent pushed the publisher and the publisher had to do that thing to keep the author happy. Like often uh, where ads appear, especially in publications that are perceived as being very important, Mm -hmm. um, has more to do with author service than necessarily with getting the most bang for your advertising. Buck, Mm -hmm. Man, we've gone way afield.
0: (laughs) Well, no, it isn't. I mean, the thing that... I mean, it is... Because it's not about Matchbook. It's about book coverage writ large, right? It's about the publishing industry writ large. And... 'Cause there's no I mean, we didn't know that Book Riot would work the way that it has. Um there's no there was no guarantee this would work. There's no guarantee that like Lit Hub would be a thing or Bustle Books or BuzzFeed books, like a lot of things that that came after us. Um, you know, Goodreads itself which came before us, like all these things that sprung up in and around the cracks in this... Well, I I guess there's more crack than sidewalk when it came to book coverage. I think that's one thing Mm -hmm. we found out. But there was no guarantee any of that would work. It it, it might well have been that the New York Times was right. You know what? The kind of book coverage that works is people want a thousand-word reviews of books. Um, Now, maybe... I, I think the thing that was going to be true no matter what is that the kinds of books and the, 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 the authors getting reviewed in the New York Times were books were going to change over time. I, I think that was more inevitable than the formats, kinds of content would change because they could have been mm-hmm. right. And this is, this is the New York Times saying, basically, business as usual for us is not the way to go. And what brought yes. that about is super interesting to me because it wasn't Pamela Paul. She's been there for a few years. You know, it wasn't like they. Yeah, sometimes like, they would bring someone else in. It's like, OK, I want to do this. I have this different vision. So it's not it's not bad enough that they thought they needed a wholesale change, um, but enough that they need to do something.
1: Yeah, I do think it's possible that like just to speculate that Pamela Paul had, had been simmering on some of these things from yes. her from the beginning of her time, but that at a giant publication, it takes a while to sell, you know, whoever your boss is on changing the way mm-hmm. that things are done yeah. um, and being able to point to the success of all the other books, verticals, um, might have been compelling.
0: Yeah. Should I wonder, have been I wonder like, you know, I mean their ad revenue, right? The, the, the most recent one, um, you know, they have four to seven half page or, you know, quarter page to full page ads that can be black and white or color. I wonder what the print ad revenue to has happened... I mean, how has that changed the New York Times? I mean, because they're... Look, <clears throat> we are a small ship. I'm, I don't want to compare us to the New York Times because it's not fair, <laughs> it's not accurate to, to us or, or, or to them. Um, it's not you know comparable. But the money we make comes from somewhere. The money Goodreads makes comes from somewhere. The money Bustle makes comes from somewhere. They do direct book ad sales. The money from Entertainment Weekly... I mean, Refinery29 does like... Uh, Goodreads, uh, Google, Facebook, like there's a lot of places people can spend money. Um, and the New York Times was getting a lot of premium, you know, high dollar money. I, have, have they seen changes in that? Because if something of a dollar comes to us or Lit Hub or something else, it's not going somewhere else. So where is it coming from? How much of it has come from the New York Times? Because it seems like it has to have been a considerable amount, it seems to me. Now, is that enough? Like, that they're, they have to feel like they compete with all these other places. Is it, is it sort of um, editorial driven or is it business driven or, or some combination thereof? Because I don't think it's wrong if it's business. That's not to say it's wrong or bad or anything either. Um, just I, I'd be curious to know, like, what are the inciting factors? And maybe there's a couple of them that go on in there. What are you, are you laughing at? What are you laughing at me I'm about? Just, I,
1: wanna, I think like really all we need to do is like get Pamela Paul a little bit drunk and ask her a bunch of questions.
0: Yeah, right. 202 in the morning. <laughs> She's bleary eyed, Pamela. So tell me, why are you doing the match thing? Yeah, I, you know, because they have such resources. Like, uh, you know, they do great book news coverage. I mean, they do long profiles and they do a lot of interesting news coverage. But the 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 space between a, re- a review and um, a profile or a long reported piece is wide. Mm-hmm. And I've often thought, like, what could the New York Times? They have unique resources and and access and content and you know reporting reporting budgets. I've often wondered, like, what could the New York Times really do that say we can't do or Bustle can't do or LitHub can't do and wouldn't do? That would be super interesting and exciting. And I think there's things they could do. But um, it, it seems to me, I guess this is where I'm coming back is like, it seems like this is pretty small. I guess, you know, that's what it is. Matchbook is kind of a small thing for the New York Times yeah, to do. Yeah,
1: it's, I think that's where I'm sitting too. And this will be an ungenerous statement, mm-hmm. but it just, it feels like there haven't been New ideas out of New York Times book coverage in a long time. Um, It's the New York Times take on, like, this is the New York Times take on a personalized book recommendation Mm -hmm. column. Um, There's the New York Times take on. I assume since we're not going to just see thousand word reviews, that pretty soon we'll be seeing the New York Times take on like a roundup of thrillers to read this spring. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, other kinds of things that, like, we are at a point where it's really difficult to come up with wholly original ideas Mm -hmm. for content of any kind because the internet is so big and reinventing the wheel is so difficult and infrequent. But there's just, uh, it's like, I guess it kind of feels like, I guess we'll get on this bandwagon now. Yeah,
0: (laughs) right. Yeah, right. I mean, there's something, it's not a, and it's not even a bandwagon. It's just like, here's our spin on this thing. Right. Um, And because we have, you know, I don't know how many pages, 24 pages, it might be a little bit more than that. Um, of Of weekly print content to fill like this is one thing we can this is one this is a column we can churn out every week we don 't have to think about it like they 're by the book column which i which I actually look forward to looking at mm-hmm. but it 's basically the same every week you know it 's just a different person that gets swapped in and out of it so it 's repeatable you can fill the content pages you know that 's i mean the other thing that 's true about that we all i think and I will throw us in the same boat as 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 all these other places like Quiet as it's kept, books are kind of hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I mean, probably anyone listening to the show knows this. But even if you've read the same book as somebody else, which, you know, the number of books there are is, it, it's very difficult. But like, you sit down with someone, and you're like, let's talk about this book we both just read. It's sort of hard to do. And now imagine doing that that's for people that may have not read the book. It's it's hard it's hard. I mean, what else is there but a review? It's like okay, it's it's criticism. It's a think piece. Like so, you're gonna write a criticism or think piece or whatever about this book that no one's read, or the, the most the lion, sh- the vast majority of people that might come across it, like something we post on Facebook, like th- that they haven't read the book, makes it really difficult. I think to talk about new books in any sort of consistent way. And one thing the book bloggers really cracked open was the the recognition that backlist you can talk. I mean, we can talk about the Gatsby and Harry Potter and Toni Morrison, you know, the things that, every, and, and In Cold Blood and To Kill a Mockingbird, mm-hmm. Those that's evergreen content topics, which is something that the, the traditional publications really didn't do. It got reviewed, and then maybe on the 10th anniversary, and then 50 years later, I mean, there might be reasons to talk about some of their time, but as a drumbeat of a way to find things that people can actually connect to, um, the aura around books that people already know, there's a lot there, there's a lot to do there.
1: Yeah. And we've joked, but it's true. Like we could run nine posts about Harry Potter every day yeah, and it would be fine. And there are days like if you, <laughs> and I've done it, like I've counted on, at BuzzFeed books, yeah. like basically not a day goes by that someone has not invented some kind of content over there about Harry Potter. And it's not because they're lazy at BuzzFeed. No, they it's know what they're they know
0: doing. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, They're smart. They know it works. People will read mm-hmm. a Harry Potter thing all the live long day. If you put to kill a mockingbird in the headline of something, people will read that all the live long day. Jane Aust, you know some of the those like very beloved classics yeah, right. and the more modern things that um, were just super popular and that people connected to in a deep personal emotional way. Mm-hmm. We could we could do the Harry Potter quote of the day from now until forever, That's and absolutely. it would be the highest performing post on this. I site. know,
0: right? Yeah. What's the? I mean, I think I made a joke a long time ago about that, and and I'm I joke about BuzzFeed too, but also I, I have a lot of respect for what they do and oh, an admiration yeah. for what they do
1: they're paying attention over there. I
0: wouldn't do it exactly the same way, but that doesn't mean anything. Um like the joke was like which Harry Potter quiz are you? Is like that's the that's the <laughs> ultimate one, right? Cuz there's so there's so many to choose from. Um but yeah, I mean that it works and people are interested in the that's a crossover cultural phenomenon. Um that people are going to talk about forever and you can write about and say I think maybe you could say more interesting things than a quiz every day, but that doesn't mean that a quiz every day is wrong. Um, necessarily. Okay, we got to get off the New York Times. We this do, is you know, way insider uh, baseball. Uh, let me, uh, yeah, let me I do an gonna... ad. Let me do a sponsor. It's Playster. Um, Playster. So here, here's the deal with Playster. It's the world's first all-in-one entertainment service. It takes care of everything that you might want from an entertainment, entertainment service. E-books, audio m- music, movies, TV shows, and games and gives you unlimited access to millions of titles and sounds and games and songs for one flat monthly fee. That's right, plates lets less you enjoy unlimited audiobooks and eBooks with no restrictions and no credit system. The server is accessible through all the web browsers, you know, Safari, Chrome, you know, if you have Internet Explorer, I don't know if you're still, I don't know if you're using like a Internet Explorer 3, they'll probably work. But you know, any modern uh, browser, which is a cool feature, you know, if you're a computer, you don't have it in front of you, you can share an account, um, someone else that, uh, you know, use it at work or school or something like that. They have apps on all, you know, Android and iOS apps, virtually any device you can use, and an offline mode, which lets you save all of your favorites for on-the-go reading or listening when there's no internet access around. Um, So here's the deal. You can get a special 90-day trial using our offer code, BookRiot90, all one word, no spaces in there. Um, And you can, that's good. Try, you got to sign up by April 3rd if you want to try that 90-day free trial. And why not? Try it out, see what's on there. I was looking at some of the titles the other day, there's stuff you've heard of, stuff you're going to want to listen to, stuff you're going to want to try to read. Um, so go check it out. It's the only service that has unlimited streaming books and audiobooks with no credit system. Easy to use. You don't have to like keep a double, end, double, book, uh, double ledger bookkeeping system to figure out how many credits you have from which pool and all that stuff. Um, and then you also don't have to have an internet connection. So if you're going on a, on a plane or like you know, if you're doing one of these things that a lot of, I've heard a lot of people doing that these days of like having some non-internet time. You can still use your phone to read or listen without having the siren song of Facebook or Twitter. Like, you know, you know get offline, get away from Wi-Fi, get away from your LTE network. Um, so go to Playster.com, use offer code bookwright 90 to get yourself a free 30-day trial. All right.
1: All right. I had a transition all lined up. So oh, I stepped I'm gonna... all over it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but it's okay. It's Oh, right. you, you know what? Know.
0: A question that we got, and I don't know why it didn't make it into the <laughs> Ask Us Anything document.
1: <laughs> why do we like, why segway, do we like so segway
0: so much? And first of all, it's, it, that kind of cut me to the quick a little bit because I was like, oh yeah, we do talk about that. And I was like, why do? It's like sort of dumb. And yet I'm okay with a little dumb sometimes. Which So that was the first thing I realized. It like, just it,
1: feels good.
0: Well, I think the other thing that it's kind of hard to move between stories yeah, in you know, any way that feels organic at all, other than just like, okay, on to our next story, which is fine. I mean, who cares? Sure. I mean, if you're listening to the show, you don't care. But for us, it becomes kind of a little game. Like it's a little, it's a, it's a, it's a game within the game. Uh, yeah, can you, you get of into the next one?
1: Elegantly can you transition to yeah. the next story or with how much humor or so? Yeah, it's a nice little game. It feels nice to find a nice yes. like it feels nice to find a way to link the stories together, especially when we have a potpourri kind of week. Yeah, like it. this one. Except and that we spend had, it's a potpourri
0: with one giant orange in it, is what we just did with this show. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I had a. I had no idea that this was gonna happen, but then when you said it was like cross cultural media or something, mm. I was like, oh, perfect. So in probably the weirdest story of the week, and maybe one of the weirdest stories of the year
0: so far strange.
1: the black-eyed peas are writing an original graphic novel for marvel uh, it's called masters of the sun the zombie chronicles it's about an alien god attacking los angeles and turning the residents into zombies this turn of events sees hip-hop fan zulu x and his crew take on an ancient order and attempt to settle an old score
0: that's very strange It's, it's very so very strange, strange
1: alien god zombies from outer space. I just, if you had given me a hundred guesses about a musician or a band that was going to write a graphic novel, I would never in a million years have gotten to the Black Eyed Peas writing. It's
0: kind of like uh, there was someone has a mad, a mad Lib slot machine that's like <laughs> really book project plus content <laughs> plus story plus a uh, random celebrity and or celebrity yeah. group. And you just pull, it's, you just spin the wheel and like this is one of the weirder ones you can get.
1: It is. It was like, you know, I could have, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had been like, Missy Elliott's going to do a super weird comic right. book, like, right, with, right. um, you know, with first second, and it's going to be like, in the outer space world of saga, but with hip hop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was,
0: yeah, right. I mean,
1: like, <laughs> oh, cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, this is Tom Brady's diary about uh, dog treats, you know, like this, whatever. <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? I guess someone will be... Do you yeah. think the Black Eyed Peas are actually doing anything for this? Like, I don't know about the time value of money for giant multi-platinum selling, um, well, you know, am. superstar groups, but it—I can't imagine that this would sell well enough for Maybe. it to be worth their actual time unless it's a passion project or something no idea the this is a
1: piece from entertainment weekly and there's a will i am quote where he says we've been working on this original story for years and partnering with marvel to bring the book to life so now like we thought we had questions for pamela paul i have so many questions like did they just all get stoned on the tour bus one night and someone was like you guys
0: i think you got a lot of time on the road you got a lot of time on the road alien guy you've been you've been eating rotisserie um uh Uh, truck stop hot dogs i think you have bad ideas i think you have bad ideas
1: yeah, and and you just run your bad idea long enough to convince yourself it's great, and then well, maybe this was
0: the best of the bad ideas. I don't. Maybe it'll be a lot of fun. Like it has a really striking cover. Like it could be a lot of fun. It's just so it random. It's like it's so, so crazy.
1: It is so weird. The cover is great. Yeah. Um. It looks like LeBron James wearing like disco laser. Yeah, and shades. his
0: eyes are doing the Care Bear stare. I mean, it's it's so strange. <laughs>
1: The theater of radio, folks. Yeah, <laughs>
0: theater, uh, radio is theater of the mind. Um, so anyway, for the, all so, of those interested in zombies, the Black Eyed Peas, and graphic novels, boy, did your number on the Venn diagram machine come up this week. Such
1: such a just a weird, weird story. Very I, strange. Why, why you I don't you tell me about
0: even... something that's not weird but is awesome and someone who is eight and awesome?
1: Oh. Uh this is the best. Um, a little girl named Nia Maya Reese, who is from Alabama, wrote a book about how her little brother is annoying and it is now an Amazon bestseller. It's called How to Deal With and Care for Your Annoying Little Brother. It's on Amazon's bestseller list for parenting. Uh, this started as an assignment in um, in her first grade classroom. Her teacher's name was Beth Hankins. Mm-hmm. And um, Nehemiah shared that she was a great big sister to an annoying little brother. Uh, this piece is from CBS News. They asked her, well, aren't most five-year-old brothers annoying? And she said, well, he's a little downright annoying. <laughs> It's so good. Uh, Her mother thought her daughter should continue the project over the summer. So she told her, work on your spelling, work on the way that it's worded, and that will be your summer project. So that's what she did over uh, summer of 2016. And she Mm. made this book um, that has universal lessons on patience, kindness, and love. (laughs) You need to teach him sometimes, Nehemiah Mm. said. Uh, The best lesson, she also said, is the notion to disguise learning as fun, something that she's managed to share with her entire school. And from this project, she has also learned to follow her own dreams. So I think it goes without saying that she's the hero of the week this week. Um, And if you've got kids or just a sense of humor and you would like to support this you can go check out how to deal with and care for your annoying little brother on Amazon <laughs> I am, this is I am delighted It
0: is delight it's delightful it's delightful I don't know what to say except it's delightful
1: No it's just delightful this is one of the this is a great great story I
0: I think we were talking about this in the book riot slack but like we've seen um not not too not a small number of stories about kids doing awesome bookish things and it's not really yeah. surprising we were sort of speculating like i think it's because of the internet that we're hearing these micro stories about books that we wouldn't have heard that didn't make the new oh, york times we were, book review i mean yeah, like
1: we were talking about it on yeah. uh here a couple weeks ago so is that what the, it is, yeah. yeah with the uh, st louis boy who started the right. book club for right. black boys right yeah.
0: right so this is another one we can add to the list of um Kids being awesome about books and, and being fun and delightful about I'm, books. Especially.
1: I'm feeling increasingly tempted. For a long time, we've had a sort of inside joke with the Book Riot contributors of like various experiences as a Book Riot writer will earn you a Book Riot merit badge. Yes, uh, but I'm feeling tempted to actually make like awesome reader merit badges and have them printed and then send them to all the kids. Oh, <laughs> so
0: oh like stories. a like a like a like an achievement badge, like for you know yeah, you made a birdhouse. Like the,
1: Exactly, like a yeah. little badge that you could, you know, sew onto your backpack Pick or something. Book Ride Seal of
0: Approval. <laughs> yeah. I,
1: it would be so great. I, uh, an
0: iron on of approval is, what kind yeah. of, is kind of what we're looking at here.
1: <laughs> it would be a lot of fun, but yeah. she would definitely get one. Um, do yourself a favor yes. and click the CBS News link in the show notes so that you can read the interview and watch a little video with her. It's mm. a delight.
0: Um, next one. This is an interesting one for us, too. Um, ben Blatt has a new book out that I actually have a review copy I'm I'm going to read. It's called Nab- uh, Nabokov's favorite word is mauve. What the numbers <laughs> reveal about the classics best sellers their own <laughs> writing and he's doing basically, you know, uh stat uh, fun with stats and words in books. Um this one this is a piece in Lit Hub, He's done a couple of these sort of um uh, nuggets of uh wisdom and Statistics that he's found around various things. This one's about adverbs, and what he did, and this is nice because it's it's he's got some discussion of his findings. We get a chart. It's all very pleasing. very pleasing mm-hmm. about this. <laughs> so he's looking at median adverb usage per ten thousand words um, in three groups of books. Um, one is award winners. Um, second is bestsellers, and then third is fan fiction. And <laughs> his hypothesis basically was do and. and the premise is that fan fiction is not as um, accomplished as award-winning books, I, which I think is fair to say. I don't think it's, I don't think it's unfair to say that if you're writing fan fiction um, and, and you didn't want to, and that that's different than someone who won a Pulitzer Prize. I, I'm just, I think that that's fair. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Or if if it is. This is the premise. Maybe it's not fair, but this is our working premise. And so, and if adverbs really are bad, you know, if you find an adverb, kill it. That's what um, Twain said. There's a, there's a lot of prejudice against adverbs out there in literary writing circles. That's beyond the scope really of, of this. But so his hypothesis was, if that's really the case, then award winner should use fewer adverbs per 10, 000, or per unit of words, and he just happened to just ten thousand than fan fiction. And it turns out that that's right. Um, the median adverb usage per, per 10,000 words for fan fiction was 154 uh, adverbs um, per, let's see, for award winners, it was 114 adverbs. Um, the bestseller ca- category averaged 115. So bestsellers and award winners are about the same. So maybe you could throw in sort of all published, not, all non-self-published books might come out to be right around one hundred fourteen or one hundred fifteen. It's very possible. Um, and then, like, let's see. I'm, I'm, I didn't do the stats on my head, but you know, thirty five percent more adverbs mm-hmm. in fan fiction, which is interesting. Um, he says one. Ha- well, the results, of this, the results of this chapter are one half common sense and one half mind blowing. I think mind blowing is strong, uh, but I mean, I think it's a little bit surprising. It'll
1: make your dopamine fire. Yeah, a little. yeah.
0: And so the question is. Is the is a rel, is a, um, a lower usage rate of adverbs? Does it really make for better writing, or do we call better writing? things that use fewer adverbs. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like which is the, yeah. which is the egg and which is the chicken in this particular case?
1: Well, and there's, you know, there's no, uh, correlation is not causation. Yes. So there's no saying like, if you write a book that doesn't have as no, many adverbs, no. it's going to be a better book. It's possible that the better writers or the writers that we perceive as better, like you were saying, are mm-hmm. the ones who use fewer adverbs. Uh, our girl Tomo comes through here. As Se- only
0: 76 adverbs per 10,000. Which is, yeah, you know, she's, crazy. As the
1: Lit Hub headline says, Toni Morrison is more Hemingway than Hemingway himself. <laughs> uh, Hemingway had 80 adverbs mm. per 10,000 words. And I, I do appreciate this note because Toni Morrison, like she's so well-recognized Nobel Prize winner. It doesn't really get any bigger than that. But her place, it's, I'm quoting now here, her place at the height of concise writing is not often cited mm-hmm. in English classrooms. And that's true. That is
0: definitely his- true. Definitely The true. scope
1: of it. Is so big. The scope of her work is so big, and the work itself is so powerful that um, where it's easy to look at Hemingway and be like, "Look, this guy writes short sentences." Or often because Hemingway and Fitzgerald were writing in about the same time period, they get paired together. At, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, in classrooms of like Fitzgerald does this flowery, descriptive thing, and Hemingway is straight and to the point, and the sentences all have three words each.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Toni Morrison uh, is spoken about it in an entirely. Different different way. But I think a, a part of the reason that those books are so powerful and pack such a punch is that they are so concise. And it's interesting to see that play out here in in this particular step. Yeah, I'm going to read... I'm going to read this book and then we're just going to text each other. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this.
0: You you, you may or may not not hear more um, uh, anecdotes from Ben Blatt's book, um, Nabokov's favorite word is mob. I think of it, I thought about this before, Tony Morrison, that that the scope of the content and the storytelling and the characters and the ambiance, like all of that is so amazing that the craft stuff sometimes gets forgotten. Um, Mm. It's kind of like how Michael Jordan was so awesome offensively that some people forget he was an all NBA defender. You know, he's sort of like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's also right. He was also maybe the best defender in the league at the same time because he's, like, dunking from the free throw line and sticking out his tongue and stuff. But, like, he was one of the great, maybe the best perimeter defenders of all time. But that's, like, weirdly a footnote in the story of Michael Jordan. Um, I I may have told this story on the show before, but you know what? I don't care. I'm telling it again. <laughs> so I was in college. It's co- it's college story day um, here. Um, I'm listening to 311, and I've, um, I'm wearing... Um, uh, pleated khakis. Uh, and so um, so a local Barnes and Noble in Kansas City there was a it was around the time Paradise was coming out and there was a window display contest for Barnes and Nobles around the country and if the if the Barnes if you won if you're Barnes and Noble won, then Tony Morris would come to your city and talk. Oh. And the Barnes and Noble on the Plaza won. and so Tony Morrison came as part of her tour for Paradise. And so Michelle and I and our friend Max went, and it was in this big lecture hall in Kansas City, and it, it was it was great. And you know, I had never seen a, a writer that famous live before, so it was you know it was a lot like it felt a lot like going to church. Um, little did I know that that's kind of a Tomo special. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, and she blew me away because you know I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and I like to read, but I didn't know anything really about the craft of writing. And I don't know how it come up, but she said, you know, I I rewrite every sentence in my novels probably 15 times and that as you can tell that i've remembered it uh blew me away that that blew me away that every sentence 15 times um and that has stuck in my mind is like how much both morrison especially but all you know writers pay attention to craft in a way that we don't you know that I, you and i really don't mm-hmm.
1: um boy i hope we get to see those someday like yeah. since you mentioned paradise that that opening line is they shoot the white girl first Yes, and like what were the first 14 versions of that
0: they shot the white girl firstly nope adverb no that's <laughs> not it that's not it get move on but anyway so um this has been tony morrison corner thank you so much for your time um let's see it's been a
1: little while since we had tony morrison it is it has been,
0: it's been a while well we had you know the most controversial question ever Where we both you know we, we're um <laughs> let's see let's do one more no we can do two more we can do two more uh, all right here's a weird one i um we've talked about you know audiobook and audible and how audible is trying to do sort of like a netflix type deal of original exclusive content and the next salvo in that um battle is they've gotten robert cairo to agree to make his next book audio only oh which boy. is interesting um It's going
1: to be like 900 hours. Well,
0: again, it's not like the Power Broker or anything like that. It is, uh, oh, shoot, I just lost the thing. It's more opinion. It's more opinion. Um, It's called On Power, and it will provide Caro fans a more personal introduction to his body of work and life and show his trademark wit and revelatory insight. So it's not a big research thing. It's more essayist opinion. But nevertheless, they must have made it worth his while to not Mm -hmm. have a print version, right? um very interesting so it, I, i'm fascinated oh, by this idea fascinated me by this idea too
1: it's there's the most headroom in audiobooks like as we've talked about i think the the most recent pew numbers showed it was something like 16% of all readers had used an audiobook in the last year it's there's still you know yes. the most growth potential available so i can see the appeal here but I don't, you would have to make me a really sweet deal to be like, mm. yes, we'll put your book out in the format that the
0: fewest readers buy. Yeah. It's also, though, I mean, it's also it an interesting gamble. It's only a few hours long because it's an adaptation of of some talks that he's given in some new narrative, um, which for a print book is a weird, that's a weird length, right? You're looking at yeah. not even a novella, really. I don't think it that, I mean, maybe a novella which is kind of odd. So it might be something where digitally or or it's maybe audio is the best.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. But we've got those, like, remember when the last lecture was a big thing? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: we should all be feminist is like that sells well. Like the
1: books that are based off of Ted talks that are about, 90 small
0: pages long the clothing of books by jumpa lahiri but you know you buy one of those it feels weird it feels like where's the rest of it i don't know i that's not a that's not a for like in kindle it feels good like on my e-reader phone but like as a print object i feel like i'm playing with dolls books i don't know i don't that's (laughs) that's me i don't like that
1: well well, you're a taller than normal sized human oh are you
0: saying oh oh okay i'm I'm differently heighted is that the problem okay i got you i hear what you're saying all right fine
1: Where's the rest of it? Look, if you only need ninety pages to say the thing you have to say. Yeah, I
0: guess so. I don't know, but like eight bucks, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm curmudgeonly, what can I tell you? You, you are. That's true. Where's the rest of it? It's like a little doll's book. <laughs> We're having tea. What's this good?
1: Man, I'm trying so hard not to make a joke. Yeah, right yeah, now. don't, don't okay, do that. Let's yeah, move go on. move on. Moving on. Well, we've got a couple weird resistance related yeah, stories yeah, yeah. that I think are just worth mentioning the headlines. And if you want to know more about them, you can click, click the, the links. links. Um, but the New York Times had a piece out this week that got widely circulated that the folks over on the alt-right have decided that they're really into Jane Austen, um, that like Milo Yiannopoulos has referred uh, to Jane Austen's work and to that, uh, to, kind of has done his own take on that famous first line of Pride and Prejudice. But um, they are referring, alt right folks are referring to Austen's novels as blueprints for a white nationalist ethno state. And they cite her as a rare example of female greatness. Um, but <laughs> they're uh, really aiming to position the alt right movement not to the nightmare Germany of Hitler and. Uh, <laughs> Goebbels, but instead to the cozy <laughs> England of Austin, basically to like a happier, whiter time when everyone was rich. It's, it is the worst, and like it's apparent that they have not actually read Jane Austen, <laughs> but are kind of using it as a piece of cultural capital to appear to be uh, less dangerous.
0: I don't, um, I don't know, man. It's so
1: weird. I don't I would, know. I also would never have guessed this would be a headline. All like white nationalists love Jane Austen. My brain is making the Scooby Doo noise. It's that, like, uh,
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, the thing about it that's like. <laughs> They don't even know what's going on. Like, there is a case... I mean, the, the the case... The thing that's not talked about in Austin, right, is like all these landed gentry. Like, they have all these farm workers and they make money based on a class system and what, whatever, which I guess if you just totally ignore all that, it's like, sure, it sounds great. But you know what? Most of the white people in the world of Jane Austen are like farmhands. They're just not talked about, right? Like, you don't even know what you're right. doing. You just don't... It's so dumb. I it's crazy stupid and i don't even know what to say about it it's like well well, because it just because it has mostly white people because it it has almost exclusively white people like there's i think in one of the books there might be a a mixed race character overtly named but other than that okay yeah okay so it's by white people like (laughs) I, I don't get it. I, why? It's, why, Gina it seems so it, weird.
1: It's so absurd. There's a website called Countercurrents that published a piece. Uh, this is also linked in the New York Times piece here. Uh, the woman question in white nationalism. And this post includes a string of comments debating how the vision of marriage in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice fits with the racial dictatorship necessary, they believe, to preserve Western civilization. And one commenter writes, if traditional marriage all la P and P is going to be imposed again in an ethno state, whatever the hell that is. We must behave like gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, are, are all of the neo Nazis going to start trying to be Mister Darcy? I don't now? understand
0: like, it. I don't understand it at all. Like, it's so dumb. I mean, it's it's, it's so frightening dumb. and terrifying. But this one, like, it's so dumb. And, and I guess the thing, you know, what's really and, it's how like, bad. It it's sure. how bad. Like, there is no alt-right literature like it's it's all no. garbage like there's it's all garbage like all this so they have to find something that they can say okay here's something that people acknowledge as being that's
1: respectable decent
0: and we're just gonna like try to make some oblique connection to it because oh god i mean you,
1: you know i can't even decide if i think it's that strategic or if they just like actually think that the thing that they're doing makes sense here
0: i don't um, know uh, you know jane austen doesn't <laughs>
1: I guess if you're, you know, doing the Tinder thing now and a guy tells you that he's into pride and prejudice, you're gonna have to ask a couple more questions <laughs> to yeah. determine uh what's going on there. Sort of the other side of the coin, we've been seeing the handmaid's tale, as you mentioned at the top of the show, all over mm-hmm. the place. Um, It has revisited the bestseller lists uh, since the election. The Hulu series is coming out next month. Oh, and someone did tweet to us after we were talking about Hulu last week to let us know, you can subscribe to it for one month and then cancel it. So that might be all you need in mm-hmm. order to watch The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, but in it was it in Texas this week, women dressed up in handmaids costumes from the cover of the book. Mm. Um, it's a red cape with a white bonnet situation and went to the Texas Senate to protest um, a new anti-abortion law um, that you know, ties back into the ideas of The Handmaid's Tale, which is a society in which women's bodies are literally, literally in this story owned by Mm -hmm. men and women who break sexual purity laws are forced to become indentured breeders called handmaids. And so these women are making a point, um, about the possible future, uh, if these laws are instated, but it is an interesting time to be alive, to see literature pop up, um, in response to politics so frequently, Mm -hmm. um, I think. And for me, that's one of the reasons to continue talking about these things mm-hmm. on the show is like, I would have guessed that we were going to get references to 1984. And, you know, like we talk about Fahrenheit 451 when people talk about um, book bans, but we are in a place where people are dressing up as book characters as an act of literary, like as an act of political protest, but with literary references. I am fascinated um, and also wonder. What else we'll see? Um, the Handmaid's Tale is certainly like widely read and famous enough to be a touchstone that a mm-hmm. lot of people can recognize. But what else are we going to? Or what else are we going to see here? Um, anyway, there's a deep Vox story about the whole thing and the actual bill in Texas. Um, but Handmaids, we're going to see Handmaids out at protests now, I guess. Man, is thing.
0: And speaking of, too, did you see there was a full trailer? The first real full trailer for The Handmaid's Tale was out today. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. There aren't enough yes. battens to to do what we need to do my to get rid of it.
1: still hurts.
0: Oh, my God. It it looks amazing. It looks amazing. But holy Moses, is it going to be a... Uh,
1: it's like a watch it through your fingers. Uh, like-
0: <laughs> oh, boy. It is. It is going to... It looks... It's beautifully shot. Um, It looks beautiful and terrifying. Terrifying. I am very, very frightened of that. One
1: of my dear friends just read it for the first time. And he told me about a month ago when he was starting the book. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait until Mm -hmm. you're done. And I got these periodic texts that were like, oh, my God, Rebecca. Oh, my God, The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, my God, is this book really 30 years old? Mm hmm. How did Margaret Atwood know? This is so scary. And I was like, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It, I mean, a lot, people have been buying The Handmaid's Tale. Like I was in Powell's the other day, and you can't find a used copy. I was looking because oh, it's yeah. been on the bestseller list. But like, people are buying eighty four, a nineteen eighty four, and Brave New World. Like they're turning. But the one people should be reading is The Handmaid's Tale. Have yeah, you read all of them? Like that's the one. That they all the have one. something it, to say. But if you're gonna pick one, that's the one.
1: And it's it is everywhere. Um, when we were traveling for work a couple of weeks ago, I was in bookstores in uh, Kansas City's airport, LAX, and uh, Philly. And The Handmaid's Tale was in like prominent features in the Hudson News in LAX and in Philadelphia. Like just you know, right there with the Hudson News recommends titles, like that's that are almost always just yeah. new releases and and current bestsellers. And then there's the handmaid's tale. Like, ah. you know something's up, something is going on when the airport bookstore is like, y'all need to read this book.
0: Well, and the trailers and, and with the story you talked about with people dressing up, the the other thing it has going for it as a striking visual image, like a recognizable mm-hmm. the red mm-hmm. and the white um that really 1984 neither 1984 nor brave new world just to cite the other two you right. know, mount rushmore dystopian classics um don't have uh and uh, so that's i think that's also like you where you see four people dressed up is like that's like oh my gosh like that is a, a powerful <laughs> thing to see which other ones really don't which i think is interesting as well and I wonder, you know, 1984 was a bestseller right away, um, and it became, got made into a movie right away. And I wonder how much this adaptation, if it is it done as well as it really looks to have been done, will really propel The Handmaid's Tale. Because I think it's now a book, a book person's thing. Mm-hmm. It's not really a pop culture thing, where 1984 kind of, is. Yeah, yeah, I think it's
1: kind of in between because enough people have to read The Handmaid's Tale in school. But it's not as common, I would guess, on syllabi as 1984. But I think
0: the thing about 1984 is even people who haven't read it sort of know what it is. Oh, right,
1: right, right. Yeah, you don't need to have read the book.
0: Like, you know, Double double Speak and New Speak and and Big Brother and and Thought Crime and Endless War. And We've always been at war with these days. like, even if you haven't read the book, you may have seen that, even if you know where it's from. Whereas The Handmaid's Tale, it doesn't quite have that penetration, which not to say it certainly could um
1: oh i think it's gonna
0: i think there's a real chance that um it's a it's a little too i mean this is now getting picky it's a little too bad it's on hulu right that like you and i don't i mean just to use right. like we don't we have to go out of our way whereas if it's, it's on netflix to, or hbo or one of the ones that AMC, people have yeah, yeah. i mean cagey moved by hulu good good on them because mm-hmm. i think it's people that are in the know are gonna get it but where people who would watch say you know, get her going to watch some a series on Netflix because they're looking for something to watch there There might be too much friction for them to go pick up Hulu, even if it becomes and the reviews are great and blah blah blah. like weirdly, it's a lot of friction to go sign up for a new service, you know if you, if you've got a couple and you got to spend 12 extra bucks and so anyway that that that's good for Hulu, but I, I, in in my desire to have it disseminate as widely as possible. Um, I'm not sure that Hulu's the optimal choice yeah. for that, but you know at least you it got made. they, they also like, they also bankrolled it. maybe no one else wanted are it. so yeah
1: high fiving themselves in the Hulu board Boy, I right. Hope so
0: I mean not to not to not to congratulate people for making hay about dystopia actually happening, but I guess uh, I guess at least you, you take what you can get, huh um, yeah All right, that's our show. Thank you so much to Playster. Um, go check out Playster, iOS, Android, use offer code book riot ninety one word. Uh, go to thirdlove.com slash. Book Riot to get your, oh what's, what do you get? I, don't, I can't remember you what you get. You
1: get a free 30-day trial with a bra from their 24-7 collection. Yeah, which it's like almost like super,
0: you've done a few of these spots for 30 Yeah, box, well, yeah. and
1: I, I own a couple of these you bras. Know. I can tell you, like they're the super comfortable, made with memory foam. Like, mm. You can wear them all day long. It's great.
0: Yeah. Thirdlove.com slash Book Riot to get uh, a free 30-day trial. Um, no, no risks. Take the tags off. Wear it, wash it, you know, and send it back if you don't like it. But it sounds like you're going to keep that sucker. That's what it sounds like to me. That's how they get you. First bra is free, kid. (laughs) Talk to you next week.